Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome, weary traveler. Need a short rest? Oh, I see. They said you'd be showing up about now. Come on, through the portal. Best not keep the Lord Mistress and Lord Master waiting. You know how they get. Robots Radio presents The Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio. My name is Sean. And we are... we started... uh, we started something... We started something that we possibly couldn't finish uh, with the lore cast in general, um, but with Eberron specifically last month when we uh, had our good friend this FNGM to discuss uh, some Church of the Silver Flame from Eberron. And it just got my uh, got my Eberron juices flowing. I'm like, let's talk some more about this awesome campaign setting. Why not? And one of the coolest things about Eberron are, of course, the Warforged. A brand new uh, player species, brand new uh, yeah, species that players can play, uh, and an interesting uh, wrinkle in uh, what has otherwise you know been a pretty um, like static relationship between uh, humanoids and you know, those who seem like robotics. You know, They're, these aren't your C three POs. I'll tell you that much mm-hmm. right now. So, Warforged are. Artificial humanoids who are intelligent and self-aware. Okay, so far we're still in the C-3PO. These, this, this, that's the, that's the, that's the barometer <laughs> that I'm using. Are these things like how are they and how are they not like C-3PO? Right, right. A category. It's a useful category. It helps you sort through everything. Through. That's how I've uh, gone through life. Uh, so although it's widely believed that Warforged were created as soldiers for the last war. The truth of the matter is, is that master crafters of House Kenneth turn their creation forges to the task of churning out new constructs designed for both labor and industry, which then soon led to experiments with models developed for exploration and defense. So it feels like like uh, reality, uh, like you know, like art imitating life. It's like we create this cool thing, and then it's not until King Jarat saw the possibilities inherent in the work of House Kenneth that he began to outline his plan to protect Galifar from the threats he imagined were gathering all around the kingdom. So it's like we created this cool thing. How can we use it to get more power? How can how can <laughs> we exploit it to become more powerful ourselves? And so at the king's urging, House Kenneth began to experiment with constructs designed for war. And these are the Warforged that we know and love today. So built as these mindless machines to fight in the last war, the Warforged developed sentience as a side effect of the arcane experiments 
that sought to make them the ultimate weapons of destruction. You know, the Warforged were built to serve and to fight, hands down, that's it. And so for most of their existence, Warforged had this very clearly defined function and were encouraged to you know, focus purely on that role. It makes sense, like, you know, do one thing well as opposed to, you know, being a jack-of-all-trades sort of thing. Like us humans, like, we try to do everything amazingly, and everything we do is mediocre. Yeah, you want me to take out the garbage and drive a car? I'm sorry. What? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to get in a wreck now. <laughs> and the garbage is going to end up in the street. So the Warforged were built to fight in the last war, and while the first of these were these kind of mindless automatons, House Kenneth then devoted vast resources to improving the steel soldiers. And then with each successive model that emerged from the creation forges of House Kenneth, the Warforged eventually evolved until they became a new kind of creature, which is known as a living construct, something that is created, something that is manufactured, but also somehow living, sentient. Non-organic life. Uh, although there there is some parts of them that are organic, which we'll get to. Um, an oh. unexpected breakthrough uh, produced sentient soldiers, giving rise to what some have only grudgingly accepted as a new species. Now, Warforged are renowned for their combat prowess, uh, their size, their single-minded focus. They make steadfast allies and fearsome enemies. I mean, I would say... If, if I saw a Warforged on the other, if there, if I saw a Warforged, like you could either be this guy's friend or you could be his enemy. I'd like, I'd probably, I probably want to be his friend. Yeah, they look like like tough robots. <laughs> so not like C three PO. No, they look. They're more along the lines of T eight hundred than they are C three PO. They are pro uh, protocol droid. Okay, okay. I mean that makes sense. Why would you design a war, war robot? That looks like C-3PO. I mean, I love C-3PO, but... Walks all weird and has its arms, like, bent. <laughs> yeah, forever bent to 90-degree angles. Like an action figure. Uh, so earlier Warforged models are, like, true constructs. Like, these, like, actual, like, you know, these are just these are just robots. These are just mechanical, you know, built objects. Uh, and then some of these uh, uh, remnants of the last war appear in monstrous varieties, such as, like, the Warforged Titan. And so these Warforged were made to fight. They continue to fulfill their purpose with distinction. They will fight fiercely and usually without remorse, displaying adaptability impossible for a mindless construct. Without mm -hmm. a war to fight, though, and freed from their creators and having no culture or heritage of their own, Warforged are now searching for a place in, a, in the world, their own place in the world. Yeah, that's sort of a, I mean, you've got to imagine, you know, uh, all things being related to Jurassic Park. Was there an Ian all Malcolm, things. a chaos, a chaos mathematician to sit down and be like, you literally created a new type of life form just to fight this war. What are you going to do when there's no more war? Well, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel that like there was someone like that possibly saying like, hey, like you are creating these things and infusing them with magic and these arcane powers and you don't understand what you're doing. And then once, you know, Pandora's box opens, like, okay, you've now created the species. Like now, now what? Like once the, once the last war has ended, now what? Right. And so the war has in fact ended the Warforged seek to adapt to life in this era of relative peace. Some have settled easily into new roles as artisans or laborers, while others wander as adventurers or even continue fighting the last war despite the return of peace. In the 5th edition Eberron campaign setting book, Rising from the Last War, it includes a list of quirks that you could use for your Warforged character. Uh, and some of these are pretty awesome. Like, you analyze... and. Uh, and so as someone who is on the spectrum, I I, had, I couldn't help but read <laughs> these and think, am I a Warforged? 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, you analyze out loud the potential threat posed by every creature you beat. Okay, like I don't, I don't do that, uh, no. but I do often misread emotional cues. <laughs> Uh, I am fiercely protective of my friends. Uh, I don't, however, try to apply wartime discipline to every situation. Uh, although, I mean, that's that's was because I wasn't, you know, um, crafted for war. Although I I feel like I do try to apply like D and D logic to a lot of real life situations. How does that work out? Uh, I mean, it's fine. You know, like uh, I, I'll tell someone that they should roll. Like if they're trying to convince me to do something, I'll be like, roll a persuasion check. <laughs> um uh this one is is a little on the nose. You don't know how to filter your feelings and are prone to dramatic emotional outbursts. Uh more so me and my youth. Um, but definitely, uh definitely could see that. Uh this one's for sure. I I don't know that I've purchased for myself a stitch of clothing um in months. But uh you don't understand clothing beyond its utility <laughs> and assume it denotes a person's function. Uh, yeah, I, it's close. It's for, it's to cover my body. That's it. I don't, I don't care. Hide how, my shame. I don't care how, how nice it looks. I don't care how expensive it is. If it does that job, then that's fine. Uh, and then, uh, you're obsessed with your appearance and constantly polish and buff yourself. Oh, that, that one isn't true. So I'd say 50%, uh, I'm, I'm about 50% war forged. Maybe you're forged, just not war forged. Ah, maybe, possibly. So, war forged, like I mentioned earlier, are formed from a blend of organic and inorganic materials. Although they were manufactured, war forged are now living humanoids. They have these root like cords infused with alchemical fluids, uh, serving as their muscles. Uh, wrapped around this framework of steel, dark wood, and stone. So there's the organic part, the, the you know the um, the, the sometimes used uh, created with wood mm -hmm. and stone, I guess. Yeah, yeah, stone's organic, right? I don't. Yes, no, I have no uh, idea. Somebody write in and let us know. <laughs> that one from the uh, chemistry lore cast. <laughs> let us know what uh, how molecules and atoms work uh war the smartest podcast <laughs> war forged bodies have this internal network of tubes filled with a blood-like fluid that nourishes and lubricates their systems bro same 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 again like i i am a war forged uh you know like they're made from wood and metal but they can feel pain and emotion and while doing the research for this episode I was constantly thinking of that Simpsons episode where the robot gets set on fire <laughs> and he screams out, why? Why was I programmed to feel pain? Uh, so, I mean, that seems like a cruel thing to do to a Warforge. Like, is there no other way to let them know they've been damaged? I mean, I guess they're, uh, you know, without uh, without feelings, without emotions, there is no sentience is the idea. But is pain an emotion? Or like you know that sort of like physical experience mm, of okay. of living. Existence so, is a prison war forged. Welcome, welcome to welcome to uh, the end. Uh, <laughs> uh, however, you know as because they are you know organic and and technically you know living creatures, resting, healing, magic. You know the medicines, the medicine skill checks. They all provide the same benefits to Warforged that they would to other humanoids. So you don't. It's not like oh, we got a Warforged in the party. Make sure we've got some castor oil. You know, it's not <laughs> like a Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz. Uh, armored plates form a protective outer shell and reinforce their joints. You know, flexible plates connected by these fibrous bundles make up the body of the Warforged. Uh, topped by a mostly featureless head. Uh, one of the only uh, unique features, they, they each have a unique rune called a, called a gulra, which helps give Warforged this sense of individuality. But beyond that, they share this common facial design, uh, hinged jaw, crystal eyes embedded beneath a reinforced brow ridge, Although the eyes do sometimes glow when the Warforge experiences certain intense emotions, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it'd be real good, uh, make it a little easier to read their social cues, right? 
No, exactly. I mean, since they have this like featureless face, right? Uh, you'd be like, oh, his eyes are glowing green. He's happy, <laughs> or they're happy. Um, where there's no physical distinction of gender, all of them basically have this same muscular, sexless body shape. Uh, in personality, though, some Warforged may seem more traditionally masculine or traditionally feminine, but different people might judge the same Warforged in different ways, just like uh, just like a human being. Mm. And the Warforged themselves seem unconcerned with matters of gender. This is really cool. A Warforged can modify its body, adding and removing limbs as necessary. Uh, beyond these common elements of Warforged design, the precise materials and build of a Warforged vary based on the purpose for which it was designed. Uh, they do not age naturally, though their bodies do decay slowly, uh, even as their minds improve through learning and experience. And unique among constructs, Warforged have learned to modify their bodies through magic and training. So many Warforged are adorned with heavier metal plates than those their creator originally endowed them with. You know, they, this customized armor can have built-in weaponry and other enhancements to their physical form can help to differentiate one Warforged from another. So it's kind of like you're, uh, like you're modifying uh, building. Your PC. Yeah, it's like you're building your PC. You're getting like new... Yeah gadgets and gizmos and whatnots yeah making little rainbow lights that you know make that, it all that, shiny that don't do anything necessarily they don't do anything but boy do they look pretty boy howdy uh warforged obviously speak common since they were designed to communicate with their mostly human creators and owners and i and the whole this whole warforged thing is so it's, it's a bit tragic and also a little inspiring and I don't know that there is a direct corollary in um, like the Forgotten Realms, for example, where you have this group of people or, you know, this species that kind of don't belong, but at the same time are everywhere. <laughs> you know, Warforged do not name themselves and only recently have begun to understand the need of other species to have names for everything. You know, many will accept whatever names others see fit to give them. And Warforged traveling with humans are often referred to by nicknames. However, some Warforged have come to see as that having a name uh, can be a defining moment of their new existence. And thus search long and hard for the perfect name to attach to themselves. Which is beautiful in a way. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, defining your own existence. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so as the Warforged strive to find a place in society for themselves after the last war, they simultaneously struggle to find ways to relate to the others, you know, species that created them. Uh, in general, the humanoid races of Corvair regard the Warforged as an unpleasant reminder of the brutality of the last war and usually avoid dealing with them when when at all possible. Uh, in Thrain and in Karnath, the Warforged are still, still seen as the property of the military forces that paid to have them built, and so most Warforged in, the, in those nations serve as slave labor, often using to repair buildings and roads damaged or destroyed in the war. Which is bonkers. It's like, look, you created me to do this, and now I got to clean up your mess? Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I don't yeah, I don't like that they're slaves. They should set them free. Free them. I mean, by and large they are free, you know, in these two countries not not so much, but we'll we'll discuss we'll get to uh, the whole um the the emancipation uh, of them uh, in the second half of the show. It's really it's really interesting. It's that way in those two countries. Uh, however, throughout the rest of Corvair, they have freedom, but sometimes just find themselves the victims of discrimination you know, being hard-pressed to find work or any kind of acceptance. Uh, most Warforged not being, you know, in particular emotional creatures, uh, they accept their struggles and their servitude, 
uh, with equanimity and other, but others, you know, seethe with resentment against everyone else, as well as those warforged whose only desire is to please their masters. You know, so you have those that kind of like, well, this is, this is my lot in life. This is what it is. And then you have the other ones are like, nah, man, it can be so much better. <laughs> yeah. You've got Skynet basically. You got the, you got the poets, man, the artists, mm-hmm. uh, a few congregate in the mourn land, attempting to build a new warforged society free from the prejudice and mistrust of the older races. Adventuring is one way that warforged can fit into the world. Uh, at least as well as any adventurer could ever fit in. In the wilds of Zendrik, the ancient continent of secrets, few people care whether you were born or whether you were made, as long as you can help keep your companions alive. And so a fairly large number of Warforged choose an adventuring life to escape from the confines of a society that didn't cre- they didn't create while engaging in some meaningful activity. And so with only two years of freedom, there's been little opportunity to share stories. And so Warforged have few common folktales. In terms of their alignment, they're usually neutral. You know, they were built to fight, not to wonder whether or not fighting is right. You know, though they are perfectly capable of independent thought and moral speculation, most choose not to wrestle with these ethical ideals must be nice not yeah to, uh... <laughs> to make that choice and just do it <laughs> i'm not just gonna i'm not even gonna worry about it <laughs> they saw the lion king and they were like hakuna matata <laughs> <laughs> got it have you ever tried not worried about it uh, just as most warforged are not inclined to align themselves with any particular moral or ethical philosophy most Warforged have no interest in religion, but some do embrace faith and mysticism in some way, seeking a higher purpose and deeper meaning. Some Warforged have found a kind of answer to the, the questions of their existence by taking, up, uh, by taking up the cause of one religion or another. But these remain a small, if not vocal, minority among their kind. A large number of those gravitate toward this messianic figure called the Lord of Blades. And we will discuss the Lord of Blades in the Patreon Plus installment for this episode. A very cool figure. Uh, This powerful leader gathers a cult-like following of disaffected warforged by preaching a return to the Mornland and rebellion against the, quote, weak-fleshed races. By and large, however, few permanent warforged settlements exist. You know, Warforged require protection from great heat and cold due to their vulnerability to non-lethal damage. But in most instances, shade or a fire provides what is needed without a permanent structure. Similarly, since Warforged don't need food, don't procreate, interpersonal contact is unnecessary. Even so, as Warforged attempt to find their place in the world after the last war, they often remain in the squads or units or battalions that they were members of before. Larger groups of Warforged have taken up residence near some cities, having built their own boroughs, their own, tech, like, in a way, ethnic enclaves after their units were officially disbanded. Immediately after the war, Warforged often lived outside settlements in large tent cities, built in a very orderly and clean fashion that the Warforged were accustomed to. And some of these tent cities still exist, uh, but in other places, Warforged have replaced them with more permanent structures, usually these single-room utilitarian dwellings, large enough for a few people and a fire. These burrows, these Warforged ethnic enclaves, have grown considerably smaller since the few months after the war, and it seems likely that in a few years they'll disappear entirely. As Warforged find jobs, they often are off, they are often offered shelter where they work, which has the benefit of them providing their employers with guards at night. Also, some Warforged leave in search of adventure or a purpose, or as mentioned earlier, they head into the Mornland after hearing rumors of the Lord of Blades. So when considering the racial demographics of communities, it's important to know that 
if a community is in a country that made a lot of use of Warforged during the last war, then you'll likely find a bunch of Warforged still there. For example, like Breelin and Thrain fielded the largest armies of Warforged. And so settlements in these countries should have a number of war, should have, you know, a greater number of Warforged as opposed to settlements in countries that really didn't utilize them all that much. With that, we're going to jump to the middle of the show. When we get back, we're going to talk the creation and the early history of the Warforged. We're really going to dive into those first few years from their creation to their emancipation. And we will also discuss uh, if you were a Warforged, how would you upgrade yourself? We'll let that percolate. We'll go to the middle of the show and we come back. We'll discuss the early history and those two questions. Hey, it's the middle of the show. If you are familiar with the D&D Lorecast, you know exactly what we do in the middle of the show. We do all the midly things. We do all the housekeeping things. First and foremost is we want to thank you, dear listener, for listening to the show, for supporting the show in that way. Couldn't thank you enough. This It's, it's literally all we could ever ask for you to do. But if you want to support the show in other ways, there are definitely some some different things you can do. You can follow us on all the different social medias pretty much everywhere. We are at dndlorecast.com. You can join the Discord. We have an awesome community. We always have great conversations going on. We have homebrew conversations. We have campaign setting conversations. We have discussions about the about the episodes, about the lore. It's couldn't have asked for a better community for this show. And you could also just tell someone you think would get something out of out of, out of what we do here, whether it's someone who is currently running a campaign and needs a little bit of lore to juice it up, or just someone who is like me and just loves world building, then tell them about the show. And again, however it is you want to support the show, we thank you so much. There is another way to support the show, and that is through Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash lorecast. We have several different tiers there, all the way from uh, 5 bucks all the way to 75 And you get cool stuff. You get uh, ad-free early episodes. You get bonus content. You get invitations to the actual plays that we're running, to the quarterly patient roundtables. You get workshops um, with me to help you uh, build a new class or you know start a, a homebrew campaign setting. It's built in a way that if if I was a fan of the show, it would be something that I would that I would enjoy. That's how that's how it was built. That's how it was cultivated, and we hope that you agree. But uh, really quickly, want to give a shout out to our newest patrons. We want to give a, ch- a shout out to Charlie N and Michael T. Thank you so much for jumping on the Patreon. Uh, we hope that you enjoy all the cool stuff that that uh, that you're going to be getting. Moving on really quickly to D and D news. As you are probably aware, this is the 50th anniversary of D&D. It was released in 1974, and so that's that's a lot of history. It's a lot of history, but it didn't start in 1974. That's just when it was released. The development of the game, the inspirations for the game, date back to the early 70s. And D&D is going to revisit that time with a new book that's coming out, The Making of Original Dungeons & Dragons, 1970 through 1977. It's, uh, It's a history book. And I don't know if you know this, but history is just another word for lore. And so it looks pretty awesome. Well, there's an article on Polygon that reveals that they're going to have a reprint of the original draft of Dungeons and Dragons. The the first draft is going to be reproduced for the first time ever. And so this is something that has rarely been seen. And a lot of people don't even know that it existed to begin with. But it's going to be very cool. And it's coming out June 18th. The making of original Dungeons and Dragons, nineteen seventy through nineteen seventy seven, and it's it's got a bit of a hefty price tag. It's about a hundred bucks. However, it's not just you know it's not just a regular like novel sized book. It's a chonker. It's it's less you know um, novel more than more like textbook. And so uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited for this. Like I said, history is just another word for lore. Um, also, uh, we I mentioned uh, you know homebrewing a D and D campaign. Well, D and D Beyond has an article on how to do just that. Uh, there's going to be a link to all. There's a link to all of this in the show notes, including like the social media stuff and and everything. But uh, if you are interested in writing your own D and D campaign, then definitely check out this article. It's a great starters guide. Gives some great advice. Uh, the D and D Beyond stuff is written by people who know what they're talking about. So always a benefit to have that. 
And finally, let's wrap up this middle of the show with some homebrew shenanigans. Let's see what we got in our homebrew corner pick of the week. Well, we're talking Warforge, so we checked the DMs Guild to see what they've got going on. From Rodrigo Querton, Warforged Revisited. Now, this is a sort of reimagining of character options. It presents alternative features and new versions for you at your table. It's got a new Warforged, including five subspecies, 12 new racial feats for Warforged, and five new magical items for the Warforged. It's 195 normally, but right now there's a GM's Day sale on DM's Guild. So through March 10th, you can actually get it for a buck 17. So for a little over a dollar, you can have this really cool feature to sort of like jazz up your Warforged. Like even if you aren't running an Eberron campaign, you can implement Warforged into your Forgotten Realms campaign, into your Kren campaign, whatever you know you want. You can make up some lore. You can tweak the original lore to make it work within your campaign. But this is a great option so that if you want to go beyond what is you know, officially available, and that's that's what we that's why we love homebrew. That's why we love homebrew. That's why we love the homebrew community. So so definitely show some support and some love and check it out. Uh, link is in the show notes. That being said, let's jump back to the show. <laughs> Welcome back. We're talking Warforged with our Lord TA, Sean Hamill. And we are going to dive into the early years of these living constructs. So roughly three decades ago, Aaron DeCaneth created the first sentient Warforged. Now, other creatures similar to the Warforged had been created before, but the Warforged that emerged from the creation forge on that day marked the successful end to a long series of experiments with the goal of creating living, thinking constructs. Now, House Kenneth had been construct creating constructs built for labor, exploration, defense for some time before King Jarrat, growing ever more paranoid about threats to Galifar, urged Merrick Stekaneth, Aaron's father, to build constructs designed for war. Now, we discussed that at the top of the show. So for armies of constructs to march on the fields of battle, the constructs needed to be able to think for themselves. And up to that point, even the most intelligent constructs to emerge from the creation forges still required uh, minders to give them commands and to control their actions. They could definitely perform a command, perform an action if, uh, if given the order to do so. But it couldn't it couldn't play jazz, baby. It couldn't think for itself. Right. The new intelligent constructs also needed to be inexpensive to build. Although an army of intelligent golems would be unstoppable, Merrick Sakanath realized the Kingdom of Galifar lacked the resources to pay his house to build such an army. And so after the kingdom split, the impetus for the last war, Merrick's devoted all his energy to the concept of sentient construct soldiers. But his son, Aaron, made the first breakthrough, using documents dating back to Hedron the Kenneth that some say originated in the ancient continent of Zendrik. So it's sort of now, uh, sort of like Terminator 2, where they like at Cyberdyne, they've got the arm and the brain chip, and they don't know exactly where they came from, but they're building on that. Right. They they've got a foundation. They've got the inspiration, I guess. And they're, you know, according to this, you know, these documents dating back to an ancient time, like that would be the arm. That would be the chip. Right. And they've got this and they're like, okay, we 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 can do other stuff. We can build like robots to to do mindless commands, you know, do mindless tasks. How do we do something? How do we create what this was what these artifacts are seemingly hinting at right so when the secret of warforge creation was shared the creation forges of house kenneth began selling warforge to whomever could afford them breland sire thrain these had the largest forces of warforge these three countries 
but most of the various factions of the war boasted at least a small contingent of the soldier constructs. Warforged participated in every single important battle of the last war on the side of at least one of the various parties in the conflict. They also distinguished themselves in the last war due to their speed, traveling long distances, their tirelessness, and their fearlessness in the face of overwhelming foes. They also surprised many with their rather mutable loyalty. Although Warforged were unquestionably loyal to their owners, it was found that a captured Warforged concept of who owned it was often easy to change. Many battles, as a result, during the last war were fought for the sole purpose of capturing an enemy's Warforged, which is wild because if I, if you are in, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, a military force and your job is to capture these constructs, that's dangerous because you need to use these non-lethal tactics against them, right? Right. But they have no such constraints <laughs> against you. Right. They can murder you, no problem. Absolutely, 100%. So it kind of made combat like doubly deadly. <laughs> and so as the war progressed, new types of warforged emerged from the creation forges. Most were made by request in limited production runs, but some were experiments that were driven by House Kenneth itself. Of these, the Warforged Scouts and Warforged Chargers were the most successful products, but they still paled in comparison to the success and numbers of the quote-unquote normal, the, the, the traditional model, the, the, the F-150 <laughs> of Warforged that were built to fight in the last war. And I do love that sort of like in the universe lore to uh, explain like why, like, you know, why is there a different type of Warforged? You know, why, why is there a Warforged scout? Right. You know, a uh, uh, character that I can play. Why is there a Warforged charger that I can play? Like, obviously like it's, you know, like I want to be a Warforged, but I want to be kind of sneaky at the same time. <laughs> I love that archetype. But I, yeah, I guess I can't. Well, uh, no, like, you know, some, there's some country, some, you know, uh, some ruling monarch paid House Kenneth a ton of money to to develop this sort of stealthy warforged. It's I love it. It is interesting that you would build a robot for sneaking. You know, at least in my head, I think of automatons in the Dungeons and Dragons world as being very. Honestly, what I see are the the old Dweamer constructs from Skyrim, which isn't fair because it's a completely <laughs> different uh, world. Yeah, it's but, completely different. Yeah. 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 Much bigger and bulkier and like impossible to sneak up on somebody. But yeah, it, it, that is interesting. I mean, I guess Star Wars has sneaky robots. How do you know we don't have sneaky robots? That's true. They could be sneaking on us right now. <laughs> All right. So early in their employment in the last war, Certain Warforged distinguished themselves greatly in battle after battle, and their growing skill in the tactics and strategies of warfare couldn't be ignored. Now, Ondare was the first nation to promote a Warforged due to a true command position. Previously, Warforged had only been given temporary field commands, usually only until a human commander could reach the battlefield. But these human commanders often lagged behind Warforged forces due to their need for rest. <laughs> uh, so the decision to put Warforged in permanent command roles was made by General Argus after the human commander sent to marshal the Warforged battalions consistently managed battles more incompetently <laughs> than the Warforged that had been given temporary command. So you've got this Warforged with temporary command. And then General Argus sends this human commander and just looking at the numbers, looking at the facts and figures, and like this, this robot is doing a better job. <laughs> However, the ousted Lord Major complained to the Queen. And so both General Argus and the Warforged, whose name was Chase, they were both demoted. A year later, Argus had the opportunity to appeal to the Queen, showing as his evidence the performance record of the human Lord Major compared to the record of every Warforged given temporary command of the same forces. 
And so can't deny facts. Facts don't care about your feelings. They don't. But the human commander left the army in disgrace. And both Argus and Chase were restored to their former command positions. I want that buddy comedy. The Argus and Chase, you know, story. Look, we've discussed several different show ideas for Dungeons and Dragons Adventure, the free ad-supported television station for D&D. That's another one. Argus and Chase. Yeah, like the the odd couple or 48 hours, you know. Turner and Hooch. (laughs) (laughs) Literally goes on. Yeah. Uh, And it could be, this is after the last war and... They are now um, some sort of like city watch somewhere, you know, still partners, still doing the thing. We could allude to their experiences in the last war, or Mm -hmm. we could just keep that as a prequel series down the line when we've spent all of our Argus and Chase money. (laughs) We need to come back. Yeah, (laughs) we need to go back to the well. Hit us up, wizards. And so soon after that, other Warforged were then given permanent command positions. So without the need for human commanders, Andair's armies just raced across the continent. Other nations then saw the benefit of Warforged commanders, and in a few months, just about every army had promoted Warforged to permanent command roles. And of course, due to the protests of other soldiers, Warforged were only given command of other Warforged. Seems a little close-minded, in my little opinion. A little bit, a little bit. So during the last war, some Warforged acted as bodyguards, uh, personal attendants to captains and other higher-ranking members of the various armies involved in the conflict. In Breland, Warforged, particularly suited to such roles, were often given by their owners as gifts to superior officers. One such Warforged, named Bulwark, distinguished himself so well that he was eventually gifted to King Boronel. And although few but those in the king's inner circle know the exact reasons, it's generally believed and accepted knowledge that King Boronel campaigned for the freedom of Warforged at Thronehold due to the influence of Bulwark. The freedom of Warforged and the destruction of the creation forges were major sticking points in the negotiations at Thronehold with Thrain offering the most resistance. Another point of contention was the question of souls. Now, House Kenneth and the country of Thrain argued ardently that Warforged were not living creatures because they do not possess souls. Their evidence for this was the Warforged, and I know I can see you giggling because you're thinking of the coffin flop sketch from I Think You Should Leave. (laughs) They ain't got no souls. So the, <laughs> their evidence for this was that Warforged cannot become undead by any known method, not even as ghosts or shadows. They are also immune to energy drain, and no one knows of a Warforged soul in Delur, the which is the realm of the dead in the Eberron campaign. Breland argued that because Warforged can be raised and resurrected, you know, raised from the dead and resurrected, they must have souls. And of course, House Kenneth and Thrain countered that no Warforged brought back from the de- from death have told tales of any kind of afterlife. And so in the end, the question of souls, as that portion of the negotiations came to be known, was left unanswered. However, today, many people continue to think of Warforged as creatures without souls. And the citizens of Thrain often refer to them simply as the soulless. That's not cool. Bonkers, bro. Golly. Look, man, if you live in Thrain, you're a real hater. I'm going (laughs) to say it right now. So after two weeks of argument and bargaining, it was agreed Warforged should be free because they do at least exhibit thought and free will. And when the announcement was made... Bulwark left the king's service. Now, King Bornell, you know, could have ordered him to remain, you know, not as property, but as a subject of his kingdom. However, after arguing for Warforged freedom for so long, he felt he could not keep Bulwark in his service to him if the Warforged wanted to leave. 
And so Bulwark, this construct largely responsible for warforged freedom, vanished from history at this point, even though it only happened a few years ago. He left Thronehold on foot, walking east, and has not been seen since. Now that's that's bait. That's campaign bait. <laughs> that's absolutely campaign bait. And I was gonna say once uh, Argus and Chase starts to jump the shark a little, that that'll be the jump the shark moment when they find Bulwark. Yeah. <laughs> so mark your calendars now. Yeah, in season four. Yeah, I get. I can see the Reddit already. Uh, it's been steadily downhill since Sean and Sergio left. <laughs> It started a podcast called Sean and Sergio Town. <laughs> so on a larger scale, suddenly thousands of Warforged were left bereft of leadership or purpose. And this bewildering freedom left to a, a laundry list of lifestyle choices, profusion of, of variety. In Thrain and Carneth, most Warforged became indentured servants, tireless workers who could rebuild the lands ruined by the war. Again, we've already established if you're in Thrain, you're, you're probably a hater. Mm. And other lands, many Warforged stood on the mustering fields for days or weeks, waiting for orders that would never come. That's heartbreaking. It really is. It's like Fry's dog in Futurama. Oh, don't. Why did you have to bring up that reference? Some Warforge then banded together to decide what to do, while others looked to one of their own for a leader, such as the Lord of Blades. Still others immediately set out in search of a life free of war. And those chaotic days that followed their freedom, Warforge made their choices based on their feelings about the four facets of their free lives. Those four facets are their needs, battle, freedom, and soldier mindset. So the ideas that they formed then about these core facets of their lives ruled their psychology and influenced the choices that they made. And so I I love this because, like I said, I, I can't think of a direct corollary in other campaign settings where it's like, here is a brand new species. Like, I mean, also obviously something that you can play and it's a lot of fun because it's new, but also something that in universe is brand new to them as well. And so how do you grapple with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's very potent uh, campaign bait. It's interesting. I, I'm a little surprised that, that the Warforged aren't basically mercenary armies at this point. Like if they've got their freedom, but they still have, they were built to fight. Some absolutely do. Fair. That facet of battle and soldier mindset, you know, that right. could take precedence over needs and freedom. Yeah. And so there could there, that could absolutely in an Eberron campaign and not to say that you can't have Warforged in any other campaign setting. I mean, it's you could have a Warforged anywhere and I would highly recommend it cuz they are awesome. <laughs> uh and you could even keep sort of like the same lore behind them. You know, they were created by someone to you know, for battle to, you know, for some inevitable great war. And eventually um, were granted freedom or perhaps they rebelled against their creator. Mm. And so now you have all these Warforged running around. And yeah, some of them absolutely would, you know, could operate as a band of mercenaries. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that there are people without like a home, without a... Um... You know, they're kind of nomadic, I guess, in a way. I mean, there are strongholds, it sounds like, but nothing that's really, truly taken hold for them yet. Right, yet. And again, they're relatively young in their in their freedom. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, where the Lord takes us, you know, where the story takes us further on. Like, do they get a stronghold? Do, you know, do they establish, you know, a semblance of a nation of a, or at the very least a community within the Mornland? You know, do they, uh, do they fail there and begin just continue to stay nomadic? It's 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 a, it's very interesting and very intriguing for sure. Agreed. Well, that about wraps it up for us here at the Lorecast. But before we go, we have a couple of questions to answer. If you were a Warforged, what would you upgrade? Second question: 
as a human, if you had the ability to upgrade like a Warforge does, what would you upgrade? So, Sean, answer, if you were a Warforge, what would you upgrade? You answer that first, and I'll answer the the human question first. Okay. Um. So, I'd probably want to get spring-loaded legs so I could jump I further. I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> Did you I, really? I like, something, <laughs> like something with my legs. I'd want to like jump higher or run faster. I'd want to do something. I mean, that's right. <laughs> it seems like it'd be a no-brainer. The other thing I thought of is maybe having like a weapon that extends from your arms, like a sword arm or something, mm. um, or some kind of projectile gun, like Mega Man's gun arm, to, right. to make it to kind um, of a steampunk place. Maybe like shoulder guns. Oh, yeah, like War Machine. Yeah, shoulder guns would be cool. Shoulder guns would be cool. So if, but if I'm a human and I could upgrade any, um, any part of myself, uh, it would absolutely be my knees. 100%. <laughs> I would upgrade my knees. I can't squat for more than 15 seconds without it becoming a thing. I, yeah, as we get older, our knees are one of the first things that seem to go, uh, Mine, mine are holding out okay, but I haven't tried to squat in a while. I might after we record just to see if I can beat your record. Um, I guess, yeah, I'd start with my back because my back's not great. I've got frequent back pain, but you know, other things, uh, I would upgrade my skin because I went out in the sun for two hours on Sunday and my arms are sunburnt. <laughs> like I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't like shirtless. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't hot. It's February, uh, but, but I still sunburned. I would I would try to upgrade my skin so maybe it had some built-in SPF or something. I don't know. Like an just, unburnable skin. Yeah, yeah. Unburnable skin and an untwistable stomach. That's the second Simpsons reference for this episode. Once we hit two, that's the cap. We've got to stop. We, we can't run the risk of being sued by Disney, so we've got to stop recording. Uh, <laughs> that about wraps it up. I appreciate you joining me, buddy. Thanks for having me. And to you, dear listener, I appreciate you supporting the show in any way that you do, even if it's just by listening every week. Uh, thank you so much for your love and support. My name is Sergio. My name is Sean. Fare thee well, dear listener. And until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural. Thank you for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at D&D Lorecast. Or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.com.